when hardcore sports fans are making plans to attend a, a, a sporting event, whether it be a college or professional football, basketball, or baseball game, there are normally several things they do to prepare. The first thing they do is they clear out their schedule for that day. And uh, also, if they're going to watch a team they really like play, they probably kept up with how they're doing throughout the season and know stats on the different players and also know about their opponent as well. On the day of the event, they wear their team's colors. They leave early to, to get through traffic and time to get to their seat and plenty of time for the opening kickoff, the opening tip-off, or the first pitch. And, and on the way to the game, they might listen to uh, the radio, some pregame talk about the game, and then they go and they, they watch intently and they cheer passionately, and they're also very critical when their team does not perform well, and they praise them for when they do. And then on the drive home, they talk with whoever they're with about the game, and they break the game down. That's what hardcore sports fans do. If you're a lover of music, it looks similar for you. If you love music and you make plans to go to a concert of your favorite music group, there are a lot of things that you do to prepare as well. You clear out your schedule for that event, and you go with others who share your love of this particular group, and you may listen to their CDs on the ride to the concert. You get there in plenty of time to listen to every song. You sing every word, and when they leave, you stay around just a little bit longer, hoping they'll come back out and play a couple more songs, right? And then on the ride home, you talk with your friends about the songs you love that they played and the songs you wish they would have played, right? That's what hardcore music fans do, lovers of music do when they go to a concert and how they respond as they're leaving. And you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. Well, here it is. Believers, how do you, as followers of Jesus, as children of God, lovers of his church and of his word, which you should be if you're a follower of his, how do you prepare to hear his word each and every week? And what is your response after God's word is preached? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts entitled To the Ends of the Earth. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a small passage where Luke gives us a great example of the right way to listen to and receive and respond to God's Word when it is preached by looking at the example of the Bereans. Now, before we get into this passage, the first question we need to ask is this. How did they get to Berea? Well, let me bring you up to speed, okay, for those of y'all who've been out. Paul is on his second missionary journey, as you know. He and Barnabas, after their first missionary journey, had a fallout, and it was over John Mark, and Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they went to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas with him, and they went through the area which is known, which was known in that day as Galatia, and they go to the churches there, and they strengthen the churches there, and they want to go to Asia and also Bithynia, but we're told that the Holy Spirit does not allow for them to go there, so they go in between the two to Troas. And from there, they set sail for Europe. 
They land in Neapolis, which is the port city in Europe, in, in that area in Europe, and they travel to Philippi. And we're told at, at Philippi, God uses Paul and Silas to reach an Asian God-fearer named Lydia and a Philippian jailer in their households for Christ. And a strong church is started there. But though they are, they are fruitful there, they also endured persecution. They were beaten. They were locked up and put in prison for a time. Then they were released. And we're told after they were released, they stuck around a little while longer, encouraging and strengthening the new believers at Philippi. And then they left and they traveled 100 miles down the road to Thessalonica. And Luke tells us that when they got there, they spent three Sabbaths talking to the Jews about Jesus. We're told that they reasoned, explained, proved, and proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God's man, his Messiah, and that it was necessary for him to suffer and die and rise again. And we're told that after they preached that message, some of the Jews in Thessalonica were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, many of them women. So Paul and Silas, they see great fruit in Thessalonica. Yet, though that's the case, just like in Philippi, we learn in verse 5 that the non-believing Jews there were, were jealous and they stirred up some worthless, wicked men of the rabble from the marketplace in Thessalonica and they set that city in an uproar and they attacked those who joined with Paul and Silas, the new converts to Christianity there. And we talked last week about the fact that though it seems as if Paul and Silas were still in the city, they could not be found by the political and the religious leaders in the city. They were probably being protected by their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the leaders of the city thought, if we can't get to Paul and Silas, we'll go after the next best thing. We'll go after their disciples. And after they did this, we learn in verse 9 that a deal was apparently struck that allowed for these Christ followers to pay a certain amount of money to be released. And that money was apparently also given with the agreement that Paul and Silas were to leave the city. And so they leave. They leave Thessalonica. And look at verse 10. The brothers, that is in Thessalonica, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So, so after staying some time in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas have no other option. They have to leave. And the believers send them away by night to Berea. Now let's look at where Berea is on the map. Check out the map once again. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And the, the last red square there to the, the far left-hand side of the map, that is Thessalonica. And then they traveled to Berea. Go to the next one there. And that's Berea right there, right? Side by side. Thessalonica was 100 miles down the road from Philippi, and Berea was 50 miles from Thessalonica, more than a day's journey west to Berea, okay? And when they get to Berea, they follow the normal pattern. They go to the synagogue, but there is something different about this synagogue. They encounter some unique Jews in Berea. These Jews 
were different in character than the Jews in Thessalonica. God had already been doing a work in the hearts and lives of the hearers there in Berea. And we learn in Acts that he often does this. He goes ahead and he prepares the hearts of the hearers before they hear the message. And apparently he was doing this work here. Listen to how Luke describes them. Look at verse 11. He says, Now these Jews, the Jews from Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We learn here that these Jews, the Jews in Berea, were very different from the others that he and Barnabas encountered on their first missionary journey and he and Silas had encountered on his second missionary journey. They had been trained on how to properly handle God's word. They had been taught the importance of God's word and God had been doing a work in their heart and life because they had a desire to understand it so that they could respond to it properly and we're going to find that when Paul comes in and explains the scriptures to them, they receive that message as they should. Luke tells us three things these Bereans do when Paul preaches God's word to them that benefit them in a great way spiritually. And there is wonderful application to be made here by us as we examine how this group of Berean Jews received the preaching and teaching of God's word. Notice first, point number one, that they received the word with eagerness. They received the word of God with eagerness. Look at the first part of verse 11 again. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Again, we see Luke sets these Bereans apart from the Jews in Thessalonica. He says they were more noble. Why? They received the word of God with all eagerness. Now, notice it doesn't say here they received Paul's words with eagerness, but the word with eagerness. They were not there just to hear from this impressive Jew who had received superior training and had an impressive pedigree. We're we're told here that the Bereans were there for the word. And they received the word when it was preached with all eagerness. They were eager to hear the word of God preached. That's what they longed for. That's what they looked forward to more than anything else. The Jews in that synagogue in Berea were not there hearing God's word preached because of who the guest speaker was. They were not just there out of a sense of obligation. They were not just there because it was routine, because it was the normal weekly thing to do. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? They were there because they wanted the word. They were eager to hear the word of God preached. Believers, Are you here this morning because you want the word? Is that the reason why you're here? Like we mentioned earlier, it's amazing to me how full of anticipation we can be about a sporting event or a concert 
and how little our emotions are stirred when we think about God's word. The Bereans wanted the word and they were filled with eagerness to hear his word preached. They longed to hear the word of God proclaimed. Now, how do we get here? How do we get here? I think if some of you in here were were honest this morning, you would say you don't share this excitement. The excitement that the Bereans had to hear the word of God preached, and you know that your attitude's not right, but you don't know how things can change. What's important to remember that this doesn't occur naturally, does it? We We don't naturally desire the things of God. We don't naturally long to hear his word, the truth of his word, and apply his word. Our hearts have to be changed from the inside out. And like I said, God was obviously doing a work in the hearts and lives of the hearers there in Berea. We have to have our hearts changed. But even after that, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, that we as believers are to discipline ourselves, train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Though it is God who works in you to will and to do, listen, believers, God's word is also crystal clear that we're to work out what God is working in us. That's Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. There's a popular phrase today that's used in Christian circles that says, let go and let God. No. It's not biblical. Not to let go of God. We're to cling to God as he clings to us. We're to work out what he's working in us. That's sanctification. We got to start by getting into his word. We got to open our Bibles other than just in here. We have to read God's word. We got to study God's word. We got to meditate upon God's word. We got to apply God's word to our lives. And we got to let the Holy Spirit use God's word to change us from the inside out. And we have to share God's word with others and watch how it changes the lives of others. And when we do that, we will long to read it and study it and share it and hear it shared more and more. That's how it works. I've said this before, but. We need to be reminded of this time and time again. The fact that worship and Bible study does not begin in here, in this place, once a week at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. This time of worship and Bible study should be an overflow of a week's worth of worship and Bible study. How are you spending your days leading up to Sunday? Are you praying for this service each and every week? Praying that the Holy Spirit would stir up your hearts and stir up the hearts and lives of the hearer when his word is preached? Are you praying that people here at Fellowship will be instructed, but not only that would be empowered, but not only that would be transformed by him through his word and that they would go out from this place each and every week and you with them and continue to study his word and apply his word and share his word with others? Are you taking time out of your day Monday through Friday to go through our study guide that we provide that takes you back through the sermon from the previous week so that you can keep the message that is preached from God's word with you throughout the week? When you're in here, are you taking notes as God's word is being preached or are you just tuning out? Are you coming and approaching this message each and every week as a know-it-all? Or are you listening intently for the things that God really wants you to know and things that you need to hear and things that he wants you to do? 
I guarantee you, if you devote yourself to God's word, believers, you would commit to read God's word and study God's word, meditate upon God's word and memorize God's word and apply God's word to your life. And if you would share it to others, if you would devote yourself to pray for our ministries, where the word of God is being taught. And if you would come here with, with open hearts and closed mouths and open Bibles, and if you would take notes and study the text, we're studying and listen intently for the things God wants you to know and do from his word, you will become more like this when it comes to God's word. You will want the word more. You will enter this place ready to receive God's word with eagerness. Notice what else they did, number two. They also examined the word with diligence. Look at the end of verse 11. The Bereans examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They, they researched the word Paul preached. They examined it daily. Now, how did they do this? You see, in this day, they didn't have Bibles that they took to and from their place of worship like we do today. They didn't have copies of it in their homes. Now, many of the, many of the devout Jews had large portions of it memorized, but they could also go back to the synagogues during the week after the Sabbath to look through the set of scrolls, and apparently that's what the Bereans did for days after Paul's message to them. They went to the synagogue day after day, and they ransacked these scrolls probably asking a variety of questions to the rabbis and, and to each other, asking questions to one another about what Paul said and whether or not what he said was true. Now, what was Paul saying? Well, we're not told what he said specifically to the Bereans, but I think we can make a good guess that it's the same message he shared in every synagogue after his salvation. He preached Christ from their scrolls, from the Old Testament. That's all they had that time he preached christ to them as he did to the jews in damascus and in jerusalem and in antioch and pisidia and in iconium and with the jewish and god-fearing women in philippi and with the jews in thessalonica he reasoned with them he explained proved and proclaimed that jesus is the christ that he's god's man god's messiah that he was the fulfillment of all that god promise through his prophets and priests and kings and about how he fulfilled these promises through his life and through his death and through his resurrection about how it was necessary for Christ to suffer and die and rise again so that they could be forgiven of sin and made right with God once again once and for all through Jesus that's the message that he preached and again we're told that after he preached that message the Berean Jews examined the scriptures daily and with diligence to see if Paul was speaking truth. See if what he was saying about Jesus was, was right or not. And get this, we're to do the exact same thing. Do you know that? We are. This is so important. Not just for you to hear the word of God preached, but for you to take it upon yourself, believers to search the scriptures to see these things for yourself and to go even deeper than what's being preached. Listen, biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high today in the U.S. It is. I read recently the latest Barna report says that 82% of those who call themselves evangelicals believe that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. 
63% could not name all four Gospels. 58% could not name half the Ten Commandments. 58% could not say for sure that it was Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount. 52% did not know there was a book called Jonah. And 48% did not know that there wasn't a book in the Bible called the Gospel of Thomas. We've got a problem on our hands. And maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, to be honest with you, I didn't, I don't know what all four Gospels are, who wrote all four Gospels. I didn't know that Jonah was a book in the Bible. Listen, if this is you, don't get, don't get discouraged what, by what I'm saying here, but do get into God's Word. Get into His Word. Don't just take my word for it, or whoever else is up here's word for it. On Sunday morning, study along with me. Go even deeper than I'm going into a text. Camp out in the text that we're in. Spend time reading through it and studying through it throughout the week with your family. If it was right for the Bereans to study God's Word and search God's Word, it's right for you to do it as well. If it was right for the Bereans to check what Paul was saying with the Word of God, it's right for you to do it as well. In your notes, I've provided for you some great questions to ask whenever you hear God's word preached or if you don't hear it preached, okay? God's word's not always being preached, unfortunately. But these are questions to ask when you hear anyone preaching. Here's the first question. Number one, how much scripture is in this sermon? It's a good question to ask. Is the sermon coming from the mind and the mouth of a man and the philosophies of the world, or is the pastor being driven by what God's Word is saying? That's an important question to ask. Second, how is Scripture being used in the sermon? Is the preacher just using a verse here and there and hanging it out without any context around it? Is he connecting verses that should not be connected together to make a point the Bible's not making? Or is he camping out in a text of Scripture and allowing what is said in the text drive what he says and the application that he makes? It's a very important question to ask. Next, is he keeping the main thing the main thing in his sermon? Is he focusing on the main truths in the text of Scripture? And... Is he focusing on the main truths that are repeated over and over again throughout the Word of God? Is he preaching regularly on the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man, the person and work of Christ, and the need for man to repent and turn to Christ in faith? It's very important that pastors do not neglect the main thing and just camp out on second-shelf issues. Next question. Who is the sermon pointing toward? Is it pointing toward the one delivering the sermon? Is it making that individual look great? Or is the sermon making God look great? Is it pointing to the God of the Scriptures and to man's sinfulness and need of a Savior? Is it pointing to the one who conquered sin and death for us, the Lord Jesus, by becoming sin for us and, and dying in our place? Which leads us to the last question, a very important question, number five. How big is the Savior in the sermon? Very important question to ask. Paul was centered upon Christ throughout his ministry. It didn't matter where he was in the Scripture. And by the way, in the synagogue, he was in the Old Testament. He was centered upon Christ. Why? 
Because he was committed to teaching and preaching God's word, which is centered upon Christ. Every book of the Bible whispers his name. Christ is the central focus of the scriptures. Another reason why Christ is to be big in the sermon is because through him and only through him can we be saved. And after we're saved, Christ is the standard, the one whom we're to be striving to be like. That's why the Savior is to be big in the sermon when God is, God's word is preached. So these are great questions to, to ask so one last point that I want to share with you that we learned from the Bereans on how to prepare for and to hear God's word and receive God's word when it is preached. Not only are we to receive the word with eagerness and examine the word with diligence, but we're also to respond to the word in faith. We respond to the word in faith. That's what the Bereans did. Look at verse 12. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So notice there's a similar response here in Berea that there was in Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17, verse 4, we are told that some of the Jews in Thessalonica were persuaded, as were a great many of the devout Greeks, the God-fearers, not a few of the leading women as well. Here in this text, we're told that in Berea, many Jews, that's more than some, right? So there's an even greater response of the Jews there in Berea. Many Jews believed, along with the Greeks, and many of those were women of high standing as well. So there is a great response in Berea. After they received the word with eagerness and examined the word with diligence, they responded to the word in faith. Folks, hear me when I say this. Scripture is crystal clear that we will, you will, I will, we will be held accountable for what we do and do not do with God's word when it is preached. You will, I will, we will be held accountable for what we do or do not do with Jesus when he is shared. You will, I will, we will be held accountable for what we do or do not do with this great salvation that God offers us through the person and work of his son, Jesus. There were many in Berea who responded in repentance and faith, but there were many others who rejected this message. We're told of a few who did in verse 13. Look at it with me. Luke tells us, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. They traveled 50 miles to Berea, more than a day's journey. And we're told that when they got there, they agitated and stirred up the crowd against Paul because he is the spokesperson of the group. So notice here, we, we learn that a group of unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica heard about what was taking place in Berea. And so they traveled to that city and they stirred up the unbelievers in Berea and they turned them against Paul. Verse 14, the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. He is going ahead to Athens. He's going on to Athens and that's uh, what we'll talk about next time, Paul in Athens. But Silas and Timothy. So notice Timothy is back with Silas once again. They left him in Philippi. Now he meets back up with him in Berea, and they remain there. Verse 15. Those 
who conducted Paul, brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So they, they took Paul to Athens, and uh, he sent them back for Silas and for Timothy to come and join him in Athens, all right? So that's where we're going to be next time with Paul in Athens. But let's turn our focus briefly back to Berea. I want to remind you again, there was a great response in this city, wasn't there? There was. Though Paul was forced to go, there was a great response already taking place there in Berea. After they received God's word and examined God's word, they responded to God's word in faith. Listen, when you hear the truth of God's word explained, there is to be a response from you. There is a response required from you, and you will be held accountable for what you do or do not do with God's word. Maybe you're here this morning. You need to hear the truth of God's gospel explained. Maybe you've never heard it explained before, or maybe you've been here week in and week out, and you've not heard it because your heart has been hardened to it. I want to take a moment just to explain this gospel to you so that you can hear it so that you can respond to it, hopefully respond to it in faith. Maybe you're here, and the reason why you're here this morning is because you know that something is amiss in your life. You don't know what that certain something is. Maybe you're here, and up to this point in your life, you've been going at life on your own, apart from and opposed to God, but you've come up at a dead end. You're at the end of your rope. You feel helpless and hopeless in the state you're in because you just can't... Keep coming up empty and empty time and time again. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're going at life on your own and things are good. Things are going good for you right now and you feel as if God is okay with where you are. Well, let me tell you what God's word says. God tells us in his word that things are not right in us and in our world. And the reason why is because of sin. My sin, your sin, the sin in our lives and world. You see, when God first created man and woman he created them in right relationship with him and he created them to know him and to enjoy him and to worship him and to live for him but man because of the influence of satan and because of the influence of the world and because of their own flesh because they wanted to rebel because we always do what we most want to do right don't we yes man chose to rebel and doubt God's word and go against his clear command as a result of that sin sin entered into the world and God's perfect world was ruined and wrecked because of sin man became sinful and that sin nature is passed on to everyone who has ever lived and is passed on to me and is passed on to you and your sweet kiddos Adam was our head he was our representative and because he fell the whole pile of us went with him we fell with him we are all in adam by birth and because adam failed to be what god created him to be and and failed to do what god told him to do adam chose self over the savior he chose his wants his desires for himself over what god wanted the whole human race fell and because of that as a result of that sin we die physically and we are dead spiritually that 
perfect relationship that man once enjoyed with God was broken at the fall. And God, because he's righteous and because we're sinful, he is set against us in our sinfulness. His wrath is set against us. We deserve his eternal punishment. Before you go blaming Adam for everything, we're told clearly in Scripture, we all like sheep have gone astray, haven't we? We've all turned away from God. We've all rejected his rule and reign in our lives. Yet, though that's the case, though we deserve God's wrath and judgment forever, though he could have left us in that state, he had every right to do so. Scripture tells us that he didn't. Instead, he chose to reach out to us again through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. God the Son left the riches of heaven. He came to earth to be for us what we could never be, to do for us what we could never do. He was perfect inside and out. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He fulfilled all righteousness. He lived the perfect life for us. No, he didn't deserve to be punished. He took on that punishment, the punishment we deserve, you and me. He was punished in our place. He went to the cross. He laid his life down for us as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. And three days later, he was raised to life again. He did all of these things so that we, through him and him alone, could be forgiven of sin and made right with God again and saved from sin and death and raised to walk in newness of life with him. And all that is asked of us is for us first to understand that we're sinners. We got to come to grips with that. But not only that, we got to hate that sin. The sin in our lives, the sin in our world, the sin of the fall. You know why? Because that sin separates us from the God who made us, condemns us to hell forever. We should hate that sin. We should also forsake that sin. Turn from that sin. We're to repent of that sin. And we are to look to Jesus. We're to believe on him. We are to personally trust in his person and his work alone for our salvation. We're to make him the Lord of our life so that we can be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. So now you've heard it question is, how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to respond by giving your life to Jesus so that you can be saved from sin and death, or are you going to reject his message and be condemned? Only two choices. Only two. I pray today be the day you turn from your sin if you have not. You look to Jesus and believe on him and personally trust in him and in him alone for your salvation so that you can be saved. Let's pray.